We're going to be in John 7, verses 14 through 19. As we continue our series, The Red Letters of John, looking specifically at the teaching of Jesus and the way of Christ, so that we might follow and discover life for us. So John 7, verses 14 through 19, by way of context, if you were here last Sunday, we saw that Jesus was being kind of compelled by his biological brothers to go to Jerusalem, the epicenter of the religious Jewish world at the time, for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And his brothers, we saw, did not believe he was the Messiah. So his own kin, you talk about being misunderstood, and and, uh, if if that's you, you have good company here with Jesus. His own brothers did not believe he was the son of God. He was their brother. But they were trying to encourage him to go to Jerusalem to make more of a, probably more of a family name because he can do some really cool stuff. So they're like, go, go and, and do your tricks, your magic tricks in Jerusalem so every, everybody can see you. And Jesus says, that's not my way. It's not my time. And so in verses 10 through 13, we read, we're skipping over that, but we read that Jesus doesn't immediately go, but then hearing that his brothers did end up going, he secretly goes. And John records that Jesus was sort of the talk of the town as people were wondering, who is this guy? Where is he from? Especially among the religious establishment. And John says, some thought he was a good man. Others thought he was a bad man and was actually leading the people astray. And then that's where we pick up. Verse 14, Jesus just can't stand anymore. He goes into the synagogue and begins teaching. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Anyone who speaks on his own behalf is trying to establish his own reputation. But if what he's interested in is the reputation of the one who sent him, then he is true and there is no falsehood in him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Christ, I pray now that you would make us, as Jane said, as she prayed, make us aware of your presence. You are here, whether we're looking for you or not. But I pray that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here even, I pray that we would encounter you. I pray that we would experience you because in you, we have life. We have life. Help us to discover that life today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the will of God? Anyone ever ask that question? What is God's will for your life? Well, it's a good thing you came to church today because I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. So I'm going to end this debate. I'll tell you. Hold on just a minute to that. Um, last Sunday, I, uh, 
I was at, at the prison. Some of us were there in the afternoon, and we flipped services. We're now there in the afternoons as opposed to the morning. And I asked a question that you may have heard me ask before. I didn't ask it yesterday morning or last Sunday morning here. And the question is this. I think it's a really good question. Is God an egomaniac? Anyone ever ask that? Nathan says no. Well, let me, if you were to meet someone on the street who's just commanding you to praise them, and do and bring bring him glory all the time. What would you think about that individual? <laughs> yes, you would probably walk to the other side of the street. You know, you would encourage this individual maybe to commit himself. You would be thinking this this is a narcissist, a classic narcissist egomaniac who just demands that people praise him all the time. What, what's in it for me, right? Is, this, is, that, is, that, okay, is that who God is? I, I do think that's a good question to wrestle with my, myself. And, and if you've been under my teaching very long, I've, I've asked that question for us from time to time. The, the answer, Nathan's right. The answer is no, but why? Because how is God any different from that crazy man that you meet on the side, on the street. Well, well, here's, here's how God is not an egomaniac. This is where the doctrine of the Trinity is really important. God is actually not a single person. God is tri-personal. This is, this is, this is Orthodox Christian teaching that is unique. It is unique in, in uh, world religions that God is not one in that sense. God is actually community. And in the Old Testament, God and the New is referred to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, it's a patriarchal context back then. God is a spirit, doesn't have a body like a human being. You can call God mother. The Bible does actually. It refers to God as... in. in with pronouns that are both male and female. Elohim means that. Elohim is a fluid gender term that could be male or female that is a term for God in the Old Testament. God refers to God's self as mother sometimes, as woman. So whether you think of God as father or mother, there's God the father slash mother. There's God the son that is in actually a male body. That's Jesus. And then there's God, the Holy Spirit. Now, the pre-incarnate Christ was not in a body, right? But with Christmas, God becomes in Christ a baby, and no doubt and a male baby is who God, the form God comes in. But then the Holy Spirit, I, if you're going to use a pronoun for the Holy Spirit, I, I prefer she. But again, spirit is spirit, right? Not male or female. And the Bible makes very clear that actually, if you want to know who God is, you need both male and female make up the image of God, not just one or the other. But there we have in the Trinity, let's go with the the old language, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have a community. And this is what we see fleshed out in the Bible and in the story of Scripture. God the Father is always deferring glory to God the Son. God the Son is always deferring glory to God the Father. 
And then God, the Holy Spirit, is really shining a light and deferring glory, glory to both Father and Son. And theologians call that the divine dance. In any dance, you need a, a dance partner, right? Well, you don't have to. Um, if, you, if you were to come into my room uh, early in the mornings, I, 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 there has to be no one at home. You will see me dancing to my tunes, right? And, uh, and getting in the flow, getting in the groove. So you can do that, but it's much better than, much better than that is to have a partner. A community, in fact that are all dancing together. This is the Christian God. This is the God of the Bible. And so when God, the, when Jesus, or when we see in the scriptures, this coming from God the Father, is, is commanding glory, what they are doing, and that's the proper pronoun, I believe, for God, they, them, what they are doing is inviting us into the dance. We'll get to this in John 17, Lord willing, where Jesus makes that very explicit, where Jesus is praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And this is where it's all headed. That is the world. It's, it's this singularity, this unity. It's not just one, but it's a unity of a bunch of people in one. This is the divine dance. So when we get to this passage, and Jesus is, and as he's wont to do, is talking about as God the Son giving glory to another, he's modeling this for us. Do you want to know the essence of life? Do you want to know who you are? Well, you have to actually give your life away to discover who you really are. And that is what he is all about. And this is the divine dance that we're actually being invited into. So, yeah. Nathan's right. God is not an egomaniac. God is inviting us this morning into the the divine dance. So what is God's will for your life? Well, now I'm kind of getting at it. I'm getting at what God's will is for our lives. But as Westerners, we have to kind of deconstruct how we approach even that question. You see, the answer, first and foremost, actually has nothing with what you do in life. What is God's will for your life? The answer, first and foremost, has nothing with what you do. It has everything to do with who you are. So, and I might make some parents a little, might make you squirm here, but like, kids, this means God's will for your life, first and foremost, isn't about where you go to college, if you go to college, or whether you go to seminary or graduate school, or which, which college, that's actually, in the grand scheme of things, pretty irrelevant. It's not about, has really nothing to do, first and foremost, with um, questions like that, or with what your career should be, or with where you choose to live, or with what, you know, job you take up, or what to do in retirement. Some of y'all are thinking about that. Some of y'all are there and, and maybe looking into that. God's will for you in retirement, first and foremost, has nothing to do with what, you, what it looks like, what, what you, in terms of what you do. First and foremost, this question has everything to do with who you are. And so here is God's will for us. It's not about doing, it's about being. We aren't human doings, right? We are human beings. So here it is. The will of God is for you 
to discover you. And some of you are thinking, there goes Chad again, being all weird and woo-woo and Eastern and been reading Richard War and all this stuff. And you would be right. <laughs> and I'm more convinced than ever that this is God's will for your life and my life. This is the answer. It is so that you will discover you. And you do that. That is, you discover you by dancing. You discover you by dancing, entering into this divine dance of deferring glory to others, of serving others. So there's the answer. God's will for you is to discover who you are. How do you do that? By dancing. St. Augustine, who was, for the West, the premier doctor of the church, uh, was an African bishop in the 5th century, and he actually said this, and, and if you were to hear this from one of the premier teachers, theologians of the church, you, you probably also would be thinking, well, he's been reading Richard Rohr or something. This is what he said. Ready? Love God and do whatever you want. He actually said that, and I think that is so true. Love God and do as you please. If you love God, neighbor, and self, well, whatever you do, <laughs> what college you go to, you know, what job you take, what you do in retirement, you see, it, it, will, it will come and flow out of first knowing who you are. So, yeah, do, do, and from that, that point on, do whatever you want to do. Love God and do as you please. Okay, so Jesus here is modeling this idea that not... First, not doing things for yourself will actually set yourself free. Not doing things for yourself will set yourself free. Where do I I see that? Well, look at verse 18 again. This is what he's inviting us into. He says, anyone who speaks on his own behalf is trying to establish his own reputation. But if what he's interested in is the reputation of the one who sent him, then he is true and there is no falsehood in him. You see, these, he's, he's addressing those people that thought he was, that he was being deceitful, that he was a bad guy, evil in fact, and leading the people astray. His response is basically like, what's in it for him to lead people astray? He's not doing what he's doing for him at all. He's actually doing it for them. This is what, so this is, this is the dance. He's living, he's teaching for other people. It's not going to go well for him, you see. So why would he willingly choose this life that's going to end in death? Well, clearly he's not doing it for him. He's not in it for himself in that way. But he knows this is, and giving his life away to the world actually, is how he, he is living the life of freedom. Dr. Martin Luther King is certainly following in this line. His life, too, did not go well for him. He also had the same critics. Now, he, he was a flawed and unfinished man, just like me, unlike Jesus in that way. But the work that Dr. King took up led to his assassination. Why would he willingly walk down that path? Well, it's not for him. It's, it's for 
it's for actually for us. It's for all of us. So, this, so Jesus is saying this is a litmus test to know whether or not someone is is good or not. And then it's also what I'm saying is this is also the way to live in complete freedom. It's to first and foremost not do not think of my own self interest only, but to think of others. That is the dance that will set you free, and this is Jesus' life. And so he says, sure, clearly he's not a dishonest person. If he is, the Jews want to kill him at this point, and he's showing up in harm's way, he's clearly not doing it for him. And so you can't level the, the claim that he's dishonest, that he's somehow living for his own reputation. It doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the word translated here, falsehood, is, is usually translated unrighteousness. And so here we kind of have a clue of what it means to be righteous. You know what it means to be righteous? It just means being honest. That, that's what it means to be righteous. That also will lead to humility, just if you're honest. So being righteous doesn't have really much to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with what you say about your behavior. Or are you honest about it? If you are simply, if we are simply honest about our lives, about ourselves, about the way we live, well, the Bible calls you righteous. I mean, you, you can be, the, the society may call you bad. God doesn't. <laughs> you may live at Western Correctional Center for Women, and we, we all do bad things, but we enter into righteousness by just being honest about it. The Bible calls that person righteous. Jesus here is being honest in front of his accusers, and it's going to get him into trouble. But he knows this is the life of freedom, so he's not going to live any other way. Um, Look at verse 19. There we see that, that not doing things for yourself, again, will set you free. Free to do what? Well, free to love. Verse 19. This is not what, this is also a litmus test for knowing uh, what is heresy and what is not following God. So Jesus says, and he's talking to the religious leaders, the rabbis and the establishment. He looks at them and says, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Now, you talk about fighting words to people that have dedicated their life to keeping the law of God. Well, is, is, how does murder fit into that? <laughs> See, Jesus goes, why are you trying to kill me? If you know the law of God, you know that, that well, murder is kind of a big one. So he looks at his accusers, and he says, literally it says this, no one of you does the law. So here's another litmus test. The will of God, what, what I hope you're hearing me saying is the will of God is to love. It is to love. And the law is meant to enable you to do that. It's meant to free you to love, actually, your own enemies, even everyone. So if you're following the law of God and it's leading to you restricting the love of God, if it's leading you to being exclusive and pushing certain people out and viewing the world as us and them, well, it's a litmus test, like Jesus says here, that you're not actually doing the law of God. You're going in the opposite direction. The will of God is to love. Here, here's how some people have put it. Um, life, you know, because another good question is, what is this life about? Like, what, why am I here? What's the purpose? Well, it's 
for, for this. It's to learn to love. That's it. Your journey, whatever it looks like. And it doesn't really matter past, present, or future. This, this, just know this is what it's meant to be used for, to learn how to love. It's a lesson in learning how to love. And the law is meant to free you to do that, not restrict you from loving people. And so this is how Jesus ends this little part, this little passage here. Uh, and this is why he says, no one, not, none of you, you, you scholars of the law, none of you actually follow the law. None of you get it because the law is meant to free us to love. So doing the law, Jesus makes very clear, is simply loving God and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That is doing the law of God. And the way you know, you've discovered whether or not you're following God and doing God's will is you will actually work toward loving everyone. That's how you know. Whether you, and this is, again, another way to put it is the, the way to know your true self, your true self, your soul, is by loving everyone. Are, are we doing that? Now, this, this is the struggle. This is what the church is for, is we, we get to struggle together to learn how to love. And, and this is what I'm learning more and more, is the first person to love is yourself. It really is. And, bef- and before we just discard that as, again, just some new-agey self-help teaching, um, I, I promise you in this new year, if you just simply focus on loving yourself better and being more compassionate for yourself, Watch what happens. I, I think you will begin loving others better too. You will begin loving God and actually knowing God. So this is God's will for, for our lives. Um, Jesus taught this, and, I'll, and then I'm done. In Matthew 13, he, he gave these two parables, and he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is. So if you've heard nothing else, just maybe try to listen for just a few more minutes. This is, Jesus says, this is what it's like. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Okay, so kingdom of heaven is like being out in the field and discovering a treasure, that is so amazing, you go and sell everything and buy the whole, you, you rebury it, you buy the whole field so that you can have that one treasure. Okay? Then he says, very next verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value or one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here you have two people. One who discovers a treasure in a field, reburies it, and then sells all that he has and buys that field. And another guy who's looking for this, it's this pearl of great price. And upon finding it, he sells everything just so that he can buy this one thing. Now, what is that one thing? What have they found? What if the treasure hidden in a field and the pearl of of great price is you? What if it's you? 
I can tell you this, Jesus thought it was. That's why the king of heaven came. To save you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to discover this, I pray, more and more, that the will of God is for us to discover who we are and and help us to be on that path, that healing path, where we're actually beginning to experience the freedom, where we're so free we begin living for other people. We no longer have to defend ourselves. I would love for that more and more in my life and for my friend's life too. So show us the way, Jesus. Thank you for coming as the king of heaven to save that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in a field. Thank you that you had done so, and we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.